Energy transition had become something of a buzzword in infrastructure well before the acceleration brought on by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the energy security issues it entailed. Now that we have dozens of infrastructure funds dedicated to the term, it is time to get a clearer sense of energy transition's place in future infrastructure investments. In this special episode, sponsored by Vorbar Infrastructure Partners and Igneo Infrastructure Partners, we'll cover issues such as what to consider before investing in energy transition and whether specialist energy transition strategies make sense. I'm Anne-Louise Peterson with Infrastructure Investor and this is Spotlight. Successful fundraising usually involves paying attention to the needs and wants of LPs. So what are LPs telling GPs these days? We asked Jerome Ferru, partner at Vauban Infrastructure Partners, a Paris-based investor with more than 7 billion euros of assets under management. LPs appetite for environment and energy transition is actually very strong. I would not only qualify that as a strong appetite, but also as a growing appetite. And I believe this is fueled by both LP convictions, which are built by their own education and analysis of the sector, uh, but also by regulation incentives, actually, which uh, channel a lot of capital in that sector. We are also joined by Marcus Eyre, head of Europe for Igneo Infrastructure Partners, which is part of the Australian First Century Investors. He worries that the term energy transition is too loosely applied. I think energy transition is the new buzzword of, of the moment, but I think it's really, really important that investors and managers are super clear on exactly what it is they mean when they say energy transition and what it is they're looking to invest in when it comes to energy transition. The conversation around energy transition has progressed and is no longer just about bringing more renewables online. This extends to the conversations with LPs, according to AIR. I think there's a much more nuanced understanding that we need a much more diversified energy source, a much more strategic policy framework around what it is that we're doing for security supply. And that's filtered through into everyday conversation. We're reading it in the papers, we're hearing it in the news. But that also then drives what investors are thinking of. They're being much more nuanced around energy transition isn't just investing in solar and wind. We have to think much more about energy security. We have to think much more about ways we can achieve net zero and also energy independence. Um, And so it's become a much more nuanced conversation. I think we're hearing people that had historically been going down the road of exclusion, um, and particularly when it comes to fossil fuels and and things like natural gas, are recognising that actually exclusion is not necessarily the right answer, and that there has to be a transition and there can be a use of transition fuels as we get to a lower carbon and a more energy secure future. It's worth underlining that the LPs we talked to, they were acknowledging the tremendous level of capital that needs to be invested in that sector before Ukraine and actually way before Ukraine was attacked by Russia. So again, the underlying trend was already there. But where I would uh, again join Marcus on what he has just said, I think it has slightly altered the way they are looking at the sector. Both Vauban and Igno are generalist infrastructure managers with no dedicated energy transition strategy. 
But the energy transition is still at the heart of investments, as Air explains. We have a strong philosophy that energy transition is an important part of a diversified infrastructure portfolio. And I think that definitional point, going back to what I, I said earlier around what is it that people mean when they say energy transition, it can mean a lot of things. Is it a, taking a traditional core, core plus fund and just changing the name and calling it an energy transition and therefore it's a marketing benefit? Or is it genuinely a much higher risk, more venture capital type venture where you're really looking at the cutting edge of, of what's technologically possible, um, where there aren't economic models or there isn't necessarily public policy in place, but you're taking a much higher risk proposition. For us, it's about saying we actually think there's enough energy transition within our existing fund offering and convincing our investors and prospective investors that absolutely they get energy transition exposure through investing in our vehicles rather than necessarily co-investment or energy transition standalone vehicles being the way to get the offering to investors. Still, one should never say never. And it is not impossible that there could one day be a specialised energy transition igneo strategy, says Air. In the end, we are a fund manager who will, will listen to investors' demands. But I think what we will say is it's unlikely to be a venture capital fund dressed up as an infrastructure fund, it will be something that will play to our strengths, which is middle market mature economic infrastructure. If we could create an energy transition vehicle that specifically played to those strengths, then it's something we would consider if there was investor demand for. While the term energy transition can be vague, talking about decarbonisation makes it somewhat more concrete and actionable. So this is how Faroo approaches it. We're very obviously extremely attentive to both LP strategy on the one end, and the sector dynamics on the other end. And obviously, as an asset manager, we see ourselves as, as the link between those two. Our conviction at Vauban is that decarbonization is a trend, again, impacting the full spectrum of our investment. So hence our generalist approach to energy transition, which applies to our investment throughout our portfolio. Farou has confidence that the current strategy is working well and there is therefore little need for a specialized energy transition vehicle. At Vauban, we have opted for a very long-term, 25-year buy-and-hold, door-to-door core infrastructure fund strategy. And we believe that that strategy offers a very sound, and I would even say optimal, risk-return profile for LPs. So again, we are very convinced that this long-term offer is very much in line with LPs' appetite at the moment. As investments with a clear energy transition or decarbonizing profile have become more popular, the price of such assets has risen. And that deters investments, says Peru. We see that vanilla renewable energy assets, wind and solar farms with a very contracted profile, are generally overpriced. And this is now highlighted by the current interest rate environment. At Vauban, we are not compromising with target returns. And as a result, most of these assets do not make it to our portfolio. While vanilla assets may be overpriced, Air worries that more advanced assets may not be true infrastructure. I think what we've seen more recently is some of those early stage, less established asset classes, whether it becomes EV charging or green hydrogen or things like that, that are, I think, trying to ride a bit of a wave of energy transition being the assets of the moment, if you like, or the the topic of the moment. And I question whether those are being honestly marketed as infrastructure assets or whether they are a different risk profile than traditional infrastructure investors would be looking for. 
If vanilla assets are overpriced and more advanced solutions run the risk of mandate creep, then it'll be quite the challenge to create a pipeline based on the sorts of assets usually associated with the energy transition. So how does one get clever exposure? Air suggests choosing assets where the energy transition is piggybacking rather than a main attraction. One such example is Igneo's investment in a car parking business that can be expanded to include EV charging. Another example is readying a gas transmission business for the hydrogen economy. You look at our gas transmission and distribution business, Nordian in Sweden, the largest gas transmission distribution business in Sweden, you know, that is very much looking at a hydrogen future and it's got a very large project jointly with the Finnish gas TSO to create a hydrogen backbone on the east coast of Sweden and the west coast of Finland. You know, that is one of the most advanced hydrogen transmission projects in Europe, but it's still a very early stage project. But it's it's about thinking about how that business, which has existing cash flows from largely biogas and natural gas transmission and distribution, how it can think for the future in a de-risked way, rather than creating a standalone hydrogen proposition. So I think it's about how can we be clever and use existing portfolio businesses, existing cash generative businesses, traditional infrastructure businesses to help accelerate the energy transition. Vauban's strategy is somewhat similar, and the energy transition is addressed through the existing portfolio and platforms. There are three pillars guiding this approach, says Farou. Firstly, we believe that assets contributing to measurement and reduction of energy consumptions are very interesting and will be very resilient over the long term. So as an example of that, we invested ProxyServe, which is the leader in smart meter management in France. So that's a, a good illustration of those. Uh, secondly, we believe that asset providing base load dispatchable energy, they're going to be key in a world where we have a lot of intermittent power coming on our grids. And that, again, intermittent power generation is going to happen for a, a great share of our mix. So we need those assets providing base load and, and dispatchable energy. So that's why we have a particular interest in waste-to-energy assets, biogas platforms, which, again, are, are a great example of those in our portfolios. And finally, Assets distributing energy, as an example, urban heating networks are of very much use in that context because district heating and cooling networks provide affordable heating solutions, which are of great use to curb the very volatile uh, nature of energy consumptions in the long term. So we are very fond of those and we've invested those type of assets in a lot of countries, you know, Norway, Italy, Spain, and we are looking to extend that. By now, hopefully, everyone listening has realized that there are energy transition features to be found in many assets other than renewables, if only you know where to look. I asked our guests what would be the do's and don'ts for investing in the energy transition. For both, it was a call to keep the ship steady and remember your mandate. Here's what Air had to say. I think the main thing is be an infrastructure investor first and don't lose sight of that. So just because something is energy transition doesn't make it infrastructure. So you absolutely have to stick to those fundamental principles. Is it asset intensive? Has it got high barriers to entry? Has it got predictable cash flows? Has it got some sort of either regulatory contractual or high economic correlation to its revenue stream? Those are the sort of fundamental building blocks of infrastructure. 
if you can't build that case, then it's probably not infrastructure and therefore don't invest in it if you're selling your investors that you're an infrastructure fund. Don't mislead your investors. Don't tell them it's an infrastructure investment when it's not. And I think that's really crucial. We can do an awful lot of damage if we missell energy transition, if we missell infrastructure to our investors. I think I would arrive at probably the same conclusion with a slightly different approach, maybe underlining firstly that we don't have absolute do's and don'ts. We have a lot of experience, we have track record, we have conviction, but we interrogate them all the time because things are changing over time, markets are changing, assets are changing. So we interrogate our conviction all the time. We need to be 100% convinced that these assets are resilient in the long term and are actually providing an essential service to community. What we try to shy away from is when the contracted value of assets is very much different from their intrinsic economic value because those assets at the end of the day, they serve communities. So you cannot rely in the long run on assets, which again, have a different economic value because they were developed five or 10 years ago and the technology was not as mature. It turns out that Vauban does have some principled and practical don'ts. And apart from not investing in public services priced on outdated cost basis, there's also not much love for untested technology. Assets which are not technology proven are again not eligible to what we are looking at. Just as simple as that. Well, for example, there could be uh, different ways to produce hydrogen or to treat waste. We would not look at it on a standalone basis. Having said that, we could allocate a portion of free cash flow generated at one of our portfolio company to take a share of the risk on such uh, technology, but clearly not on a standalone basis. Igneo's preference is also to stay well within the confines of established infrastructure. You know, we are looking for those predictable, stable cash flows. That is the cornerstone of infrastructure. And so volatile merchant revenues, uncontracted revenues are much, much more challenging Early stage technologies where the technologies aren't necessarily as proven, much, much more challenging. So I think I'd absolutely echo that. It's, it's about those established, predictable, stable cash flow businesses. While the inclusion of energy transition into infrastructure funds won't change the basic premises for those kinds of investments, this is a time of change. And change demands flexibility from GPs and LPs alike, which has been brought to the fore with the loss of Russian gas flows into Europe. If we can take a positive out of the invasion of the Ukraine and the subsequent energy crisis, I think it's a real understanding that exclusion doesn't work, that it's about engaging with the transition rather than saying, I'm just not going to invest in certain sectors. It's about helping facilitate the move to a decarbonized future rather than instantly jumping to it. I think, you know, there's been some really sort of interesting examples over the years of people thinking they're doing the right things by exiting dirty assets, for lack of a better word, when actually what they should have been doing is engaging with those assets and transitioning them. And I think for me, there's a realization that just abandoning assets probably pushes them into the hands of the people that will run them for dirtier, for longer, and will have no incentive to actually be part of the energy transition and part of the decarbonization solution. So I think that has really come to the fore now over the last 18 months or so, 
And so I think that is one of the realizations that happened with governments, with investors, with the population as large, is that we need to be part of a solution, not just abandoning anything that we don't like the look of today, because it doesn't make the problem go away. But while some of the discussion is shifting, there remains a good deal of hesitancy around investments in fossil fuels, says Veru. And the regulatory environment is not ready to allow investors back into that industry. On my end, I would not draw exactly the same conclusion, unfortunately. I think that, firstly, a trend whereby LPs would consider encouraging GPs to take legacy assets and help them transition to become sustainable is unfortunately not common throughout all geographies. And that's what we are seeing throughout dialogue with LPs. Some are still very much into discriminating assets, so that doesn't really help. And secondly, I would say that regulation is probably lagging behind. On the European regulation side, clearly, there is still a lot which is based on discrimination applied to our industry and sector. I think, again, being detailed, the SFDR in Europe and the tax economy, they are greatly pushing for more sustainable investment, but they are lacking the dimension whereby they encourage the transition, actually, of legacy assets, because at the end of the day, we want sophisticated people to look at these legacy assets, to transform them, to help them transition in a world where they can contribute to a less carbonized world and a sustainable energy production and distribution system in the long run. And that's what the regulation in Europe needs to improve. Regardless of whether some change to the regulatory environment comes along or not, the energy transition will continue. But how will it do it? I asked our guests what changes they saw for the coming three to five years. Faru echoed the wishes of everyone on the energy generation side by citing a desire for improved distribution. I would emphasize the number of initiatives, the level of optimization that we are going to see on the customer side, and probably also worth mentioning the huge investment which are required in the distribution networks, whether that's heat, electricity, gas, or charging points, the way we distribute energy towards where it's actually consumed, we're going to need a huge amount of investment in those. Yeah, I'd I'd absolutely echo that. I think the medium-term outlook for infrastructure investing is incredibly positive. I think, you know, we have maturing technologies, maturing economic models, a real need for capital to invest in the energy transition. And that's just going to lead to a significant flow of investable, mature economic, predictable, stable cash flow infrastructure opportunities over the next three, five years and beyond. So I think it's a really positive time for our industry. And with those upbeat words, we've reached our conclusion. At PEI, we will keep following the energy transition as it challenges and changes infrastructure investments. Thanks again to Marcus Ayer of Igno Infrastructure Partners and Ji-Yong Furu of Vauban Infrastructure Partners for joining us. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or at PEI's various titles online. I'm Anne-Louise Peterson with Infrastructure Investor. Thanks for listening.